Yo, 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 welcome to Crate 808. And today we have on a very special guest, hip hop artist, author, podcaster, founder of Uncommon Records, and one time head engineer at Def Jux. We've got Uncommon NASA in the house. How are you doing, bro? What's going on, man? I'm, I'm fucking, uh, I'm doing good, man. I've been listening to Dell for like two weeks, so. Yes. Well, it doesn't get better than that, right? Exactly, you know? like, man. We like to talk about our 90s on this pod. We like to talk about our hidden gems and also just a few albums that sometimes through time, you know, might get lost a little bit. And you know what? When I when we were emailing, you were like, Dell, 1993, no need for alarm. Let me bring that. And it was like, I'm here for this. Let's let's dive in. <laughs> Dell, Dell himself is an incredible artist. And yeah, I just wanted to hear from you as well. And Man, why? Why this album? Oh, man. You know, it was between this and 93 Till Infinity when I was first thinking of of one to talk about with you. But I, I kind of went back to this. I'm glad I did in, in, in some ways. Like, because, uh, you know, it's it's for me, it's like solo artist, a solo artist. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can look at this and, like, see exactly how he constructed it as a solo artist. And I just it meant a lot to me. Like, this record was, like, big. You know, like, when, when this came out, I was probably, like, 15. So I was a sophomore in high school. And it was during that whole stretch where it was like Hyro, Wu-Tang, Duck Down, and, you know, it was just repeat, like one one group out of those camps over and over. And that's sort of like what really, that and Gangstar was like really what, what formed me. But like when this record came out, I like nothing like really sounded like this before it. You know, being the kind of kid that I was, which was like sort of the graffiti hoodlum, this fit in with that motif perfectly. You know, because it wasn't about like, you know, gun violence or shooting anybody, but it was about like, I might fuck you up, you yeah, know, and like yeah. and that was sort of like the way that the graffiti shit was, you know, especially back then. I don't know, it just it, the way that he spoke and the way that the cover is, is just it's a perfect record, man. That's that's sick. It's interesting seeing your kind of context for it. Sorry, just being a Wally, uh, you've come on the podcast for the first time. I'm not even asking the question I ask every guest. I'm going to dive this up, but NASA, what's the least hip hop thing you've done in the last 24 hours, my friend? I definitely drank a tropical punch truly last night. <laughs> that's probably the la the least hip hop thing possible. Yeah, I'm at that point in my life now where like. I need, there's some nights where I need alcohol, mm -hmm. but I, but I can't take down another beer because the beers I drink are all like IPAs. So they're heavy as shit. Yeah. And so like, I was like, let me try this. Unfortunately, like we had just gotten like the, the punch ones mm -hmm. and they're terrible. They're really bad. <laughs> some of the Trulies are okay, but the tropical punch is like just... Yeah. It was just like, ugh, it was not good. But I drank it anyway. I, it was so hard to drink. I fell asleep with it next to my uh, on my <laughs> nightstand. I woke up. I woke up this morning with a truly on my nightstand. That's the least hip hop thing ever. It's like a little little tropical truly on your oh, nightstand with like this much liquid still in it. You know. <laughs> oh, that is fact. The imagery there is beautiful. Michael. Yeah, yeah, the man. Imagery yeah. is amazing. <laughs> uh, I can kind of see Dell drinking one though, just to be like, fuck it. That's what I do. I drink this. Yeah, as man. Well. Do you know what I mean? But you know, you say there about Dell then, and that's really interesting, the, the context you got him into your like kind of rotation. Before this album, No Need for Alarm was his second album. His first album, what was your feelings on Dell from Jump? Like when you first heard him, what were your experiences of that? It was weird. I, I the first time I ever heard Dell, like most people, was Mr. Dabalina. And I liked Mr. Dabalina. You know, the, the video was, in retrospect, it's pretty dope. But at the time, it was a little cartoonish. 
it was a little like, you know, it was a lot of that, like, um, I remember there being a lot of that, like sort of editing where everything's like moving in, in mm. fast circle, you know what I mean? Like in, in double time and like, he's getting spun around on this yeah. hospital bed or something like that. And, um, it was interesting. The thing too, that's interesting about this record is like, it's perfectly aimed because he was only, I looked this up. He was only 20 when this came out, Damn. I believe, or around 20, which would mean that he was probably working on no need for alarm when he was like 19. Yeah. So then you take that back two years earlier, you know, he's 16, 17, working on, you know, I uh, wish my brother George was here. What's interesting, what I was going to say is that he was making that music so young and I was listening to it so young, I couldn't, the production was overwhelming for me, you know, at age 13, like 12, 13 to like hear that deep sample flips of like P-Funk stuff, I think was like over the top. And like, you know, some of the singles well, first of all, I got to show you this. All okay. right. I got to let everybody has to know that, that, you know, you got the right person on the talk about this. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's just look at this right oh, here. Oh, I'm here. So we got, you know, we got what we're talking about today, mm-hmm. which is, which is one of the greatest look album at that back. artworks. That, I love the, the back. Bag. I mean, it's just, so dope. you know, and I was talking about graffiti and everything and somebody might say, oh, well, there's no graffiti songs on here, but you didn't need it. Look at the cover. Absolutely. Look at the tags on here. You know what it's about, exactly. you know? So like, and of course we got the single. Nice. Nice. You know? We got the other single. Oh, lovely. Wicked. Speaking of which, hold on. We got Mr. Tavolina right here. Oh, nice. I love the artwork. Like somebody's somebody's pink paint mark around the back. (laughs) Not sure who that is. (laughs) Noted Uh, for later. This is Uh, Dr. Bombay. Yes, Dr. Bombay. What a track. Made in America. I I love that font, you know. The the graph he went with and just kind of stuck with. That's stuck with it for years. I mean, Mm. you know, and then you got Funny Franchise, which is this is great. So this is when this came out, nobody had seen the Dreamcast in the United States yet. No way. Cause I heard he like was there a were, gamer. He was a huge gamer. And like when he did this cover, I mean, I was a Sega kid anyway. Mm. So like when he did this cover, that was a big deal. Even in itself. Damn, so, that's sick. So oh, man. Oh, that, that album, brain. The album's got some bangers, you know. That album, album yeah, it's definitely slept on. And mm. then, of course, Deltron 3030. Oof, classic. Yeah, classic. And this one, this one is the last one in my hand. This is an important one for me mm-hmm. because Ooh. this is golden era. Right. And I just I just got this. I didn't even know this existed on vinyl until like a couple months ago. I looked it up on Discogs and I bought it. And I love this album. This is one of my favorite albums besides No Need for Alarm. Yeah. I th- it could even be my second favorite Dell album. Like, Damn. I, I, and Damn. it came out like, you know, I think it was like 2010, something like that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Pretty well, yeah, quite a few years. But he's been on it. He has been dropping from collabs to to just he he has a big catalog. Yeah. Like if you're diving back in, which I was doing, the B sides alone, the remixes, the variants, all that. Yeah, man, uh-huh. sick. So you were saying there then the heavy P funk sample flips. They were a bit you were a bit too young for it. So when you cut to yeah. this album. What was it about this album that really was it the lyrics? Was it the bar? Was it was it the beats? I mean, it starts with the beat, I guess. The beats, I guess, but but mm. it was the whole package, man. It was everything. I mm. mean, you know, just the look of this whole thing. I mean, I'm lucky I didn't go and get a fucking nose ring just based <laughs> off of seeing this myself, man. Like I, I mean, yeah. you know, when you were young in the nineties and you were like a little graph kid, people didn't really look particularly like you. People didn't like people dress like that across the board, but like, you know, at this time period, it was still, you know, sort of coming out of the early days. And like, you know, to see somebody like t-shirt, jeans, crooked hat, like that was, 
you know, you already have my attention because that that's like me. You know what I mean? That's like my friends and all of us. And like, so when we heard this record, it was like right in line. You know, everything was completely right in line with with what we were doing. And, and you know, some of the I don't want to say immaturities of the record, but but they lined up with our immaturities at the time, you know, because yeah. you're talking about young people rapping for other young people to hear. And that was that was what made this record kind of magical, I think, at the time, you know, because it was different than like, you know, like I love Duck Down. I love Wu-Tang, but mm. I didn't identify with I identify a lot with those personally, mm. those camps and crews and, and the subject matter of their releases. But as much as I identify personally with those releases, the Hyro, the first wave Hyro stuff is even more so because mm, you know? it's a lifestyle as well i think hyro is a lifestyle from everything i've learned i remember dell this is like an album i came back to later it was i, I don't remember what my first i think probably deltron was the first time i really fell in love oh, wow. with dell and before that i just thought it was ice cube's cousin who had huh, amazing wow. amazing like features and like yeah he could hold his own the mic and then you you hear deltron and i was like what the fuck then then you go back and th- i remember hearing this album and this being an album that hit me more than mr doubleina when you were saying that about him being so young you know what's fascinating to me listen to this a lot of people say that artists are fully formed for me it's just so natural bro he's just a naturally gifted it's just so effortless everything he says mm-hmm. and does he's not like trying <laughs> it, you, you, you know later i think you hear him trying on other albums but this it's, album it's crazy that like he had a fully developed persona mm. at this age like his voice was perfect he knew how to manipulate his voice correctly yeah. He knew, you know, I'll talk about some of the lyrics later, uh, or at least one lyric that I thought was really interesting, like his timing, like the way that he would go off and on and land back on and like use that sort of as a philosophy for like his style, you know, and, and had an ear for beats. You know, this record, most people would think that one person or one group of producers made this whole record, but it's all different people that have made these beats and they all yeah. sound right in line with each other without sounding repetitive. Yeah. When you, so you know other Dell fans, before we dive into the tracks and stuff like that, other Dell fans around you, when this album came out, from everything I've read and heard, is he lost a little bit of the fandom. The first one was so big. For you and your mm. friends, did they prefer this one or the first one? Like this one. Was- See, I mean, I'm from New York, you know, like mm. I was raised on Staten Island and I'm from New York and, and mm. you know, like I, I, I would imagine, I didn't read about it at the time or anything, but I would imagine maybe some of the fans on the west coast or like fans that only got into i wish my brother george was here because of the ice cube and lynch mob connections maybe they were like oh this dude you know he's trying to be from the east or something maybe that happened i don't know that but i know that like when this came out you know two of the songs were recorded here in new york um at chunk king so like he was flying back and forth to new york to do this record and and obviously it has that influence and he said in interviews you know that he was influenced by new York as much as he was the West Coast, mm. you know, so even in the moment at that time, these beats are a lot more New York friendly at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think sure. now everybody's kind of open to everything and that's mm. fine. At the time, like this was the kind of record you had to make. But like even like, um, you know, Ice Cube did a record with Bomb Squad, yeah. you know, and, and that was people from the West respected the East and vice versa. So mm. um, I think that's probably part of what maybe you're hearing. I didn't feel that at the time. I didn't know anyone that was into Dell as much before yeah. um, this record came out as after. Ah, 
Okay. Everyone that everyone that I knew in my circle of friends, like we were all, we would watch his videos from the first record and and be totally cool with it, mm. and be like, oh, that's cool. But like this was the record that everybody went and bought and had on tape and shit. Yeah, you know? I reckon it still gets rinsed though. I'm listening to it now. There's so many albums people bring on, and after a while, through time, you find a few skips and stuff like that. I was mm-hmm. going through this album. I was like, honestly, I don't know. Like, I think the best song might be the last song. It's crazy mm. at the sequencing on it where he's just going to hold all his like <laughs> firepower and then just drop like thank yous at the end and you're like fuck like this this guy's crazy hey what's up this is black thought and you are now rocking with the crate 808 podcast yo 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 yo, yo. this is stretch on my name is Bobby the Garcia, aka Cool Bob Love. You're now listening to Crate 808. Hey, yo, what up, y'all? This is Prince Paul, and you're rocking with Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, it's EV Evidence, Dilated Peoples. You're rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast, my favorite shit. Let's go. Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Master Ace from Brooklyn, New York, and you're checking out the Crate 808 Podcast. Real hip hop. But going on to our little categories we have then to dive into the album a little bit, we have like most rewindable moments, age the best, stuff like that. But for you, yeah. what we what are the things that you can't stop rewinding, like moments or songs or I mean, there there's a moment or I put this on, I never thought of this before, but I put it on and like the first song starts, you know, it, it kicks off with, with your shambles, which first of all as a title is so awesome. Like, <laughs> you know, who would have thought to name something your shambles, you know, before <laughs> Dell did it starts and it's got this little you know you know and it's like and it's kind of like it's like a softer jazz sample and you know of the era you know maybe somebody was sitting and thinking oh this is gonna be like trap called quest or like yeah. common you know and then it just hits and it's like the <laughs> fucking darkest piano and i'm the monster and that's it all hope of that is is crossed and you know seeing down interviews and stuff it almost feels intentional even though i'm sure it wasn't but it almost feels like it's intentional to Mm. to just whisk away sort of like that style of jazz production I, I guess I could say it here because it is sort of like a memorable part. Well, maybe I'll save it for the production part later, but mm. um, just the way that they approach Hyro as a collective yeah. on this record in particular, but Hyro as a collective, the way that they approach sampling jazz mm. is like no one else. And that's what makes me a huge fan of, of what they do. One of the other big moments for me is like, I can remember, you know, when you're 15 and you're a little backpacker nerd like I was back then, uh, most people listen to records like this then. Mm. But at the same time, especially young people, especially more hip hop nerdy people, it was about like, man, don't fuck it up. That's two good songs. That's three good songs. (laughs) Don't put no whack shit on here now. You know, now you got me. (laughs) And and I can remember the 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 five mic moment for me is mm. when catch a bad one is ending and whack mc starts as Ooh. subtle as that is mm. like that shit echoes out like right on time with the beginning of yes. that horn drop for whack mcs and when you when you hear the beat for whack mcs drop and that chorus mm. at that moment it would be pretty far-fetched to suspect that this record was going to go downhill <laughs> you know even <laughs> in 1993 like it seemed like oh no no we got a good one here you yeah, know like yeah. and that was that was pretty much the the sealer you know like Mm. it's one of the best uh three song starts of any album you know yeah yeah Um, i would say that 
the know? opener. And it, yeah. but and it, and it's hard to even put it in that category because this record continues. You know, it's yeah. a, it's a it's a twelve uh, fourteen song start. You know that that doesn't Absolutely. end. But it really is though. Like what you're saying yeah. there, it's very easy to be hyperbolic. But I challenge mm-hmm. anyone, yeah. anyone, any nineties head especially, listen to this album and tell me when when there's a skip because there ain't. There just isn't. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Tell me that. Tell me the song you're gonna take off of here. Exactly. You, you know, can't. like because even even songs that are like you know less memorable which mm-hmm. you know is just in something that like miles to go miles or to go. yeah um treats for the kitties like those are great songs yeah like you know and, and and that's also subjective you know other people that might be their favorite songs i'll get into that stuff for me later but mm-hmm. like it's an untouchable record to me i love that um so we talked a little bit there about catch a bad one we're talking about rewind moments for me them heavy heavy strings mm-hmm. they still do the job they still do what they used to do that that is amazing but do you know when you look at someone who's as we said not so naturally gifted but mm-hmm. is also slightly unhinged as in like he yeah, isn't yeah. he you if you really like lyrics he keeps you on the edge of your seat like constantly all of them do all of hyro do i feel but yeah no one thing you said there about the album artwork by the way do you know what i loved and i don't know for you how you felt but it was mm-hmm. his look and it's just yeah. Like yeah, absolutely. Lip piercing. I've never seen anyone like that before. Not in hip hop. Yeah, I mean, it was. It just is so well thought out. I don't. I'd love to hear like a story. I don't know if anyone's ever asked him in interviews, or maybe if I just forgot, like how this cover came together, what the art direction was like. My first experience with this record was on cassette. So on the cassette, you know, you can see here there's like this black border. Yeah. On the cassette, there is no black border. Ah. So this is a comic book, obviously, like layout. And yeah. so on the, on the cassette, it, it fits perfectly into that rectangular shape. Mm-hmm. So like when you're holding it as a 15 year old kid and it's like it's shaped like your favorite Marvel comic, except it's graffiti yeah. and it's this ill dude with a boombox. Yeah, it's just perfect. I mean, little things that I noticed, too, when I looked at this, you could see here it's it's number two. It's the second mm-hmm. issue, you know, because mm-hmm. it's a second album. Yeah. 1993, you know, I mean, it says Electra. You know, it's just uh, it's a perfect piece, man. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how you beat that. I don't know what kind of pagoda or something that he's in front of. I guess this is in the bay. Yeah. You know, and then the back cover, too. You know, you've got, you know, him just fucking that. pulling on a J fucking sitting in the woods somewhere, you know, yeah. and then it's even got this shit here. I don't know if you could see it, but it says, mm. thanks for buying my shit. <laughs> and it's got a little a little hyro guy with his hands up cheering for you that you bought his shit. That is so dope. Yeah. Like little things like that are so endearing. First of all, at the time when I was young and and even now as a, as a grown man that makes my own music, you know, Mm -hmm. I look at layouts like this and this is like, this is what you're aiming for, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's conceptually different or not, like it, you want a package that leaves everyone that wants to read your shit and look at your shit something to look at you know these these colors and vibrant imagery yeah and then like you know all the credits are here nice and neat it's little things you know people say ah you know especially these days with like so much digital Mm -hmm. oh you know that's just you digging too deep into it but no like this was somebody really spent some time working on this to be perfectly orchestrated and then like you know here you know and this was cool this was common for a lot of records but you know this is the back of uh the yeah. catch a bad one single yeah, and it's shot one, yeah. obviously it's the same shoot you know you can see the pagoda mm-hmm. back there too mm-hmm. so like you know it's yeah. pretty cool like bonus pictures i love that that's wicked i'm loving the props by the way nasa wicked i'm enjoying these uh, hey, man. <laughs> i got a show and tell day today you know <laughs> of course uh, any other rewindable moments for you or, or, or as you were alluding to there a little bit hidden gems on the album 
Like any any more yeah. rewindables or hidden gems from you? I always love check it out, and now when I hear it, I like it even more. You know, like that beat is crazy, and Dell did that beat himself, and like yeah. it's it's uh yeah, it's the longest song on the record too. It doesn't feel like it, you know. It's right toward the end, and like you know, other little hidden things and like slept on things that have aged really well, like in and out. You know, you've got that. <sighs> You know, that chorus that goes back and forth. Go tell your sister. Go, go tell, tell your brother. brother. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's fucking so good, I man. Love the Just right little in, shit. What's, it, what's he saying now? In one ear, in one right ear, up. right at the other. That. Oh, so yeah. someone must have sampled that. I was thinking someone must have sampled that somewhere down the line. At some point, somebody must. It's funny because there's a lot of hip hop samples on here, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. with uh, Whack of Seas and Worldwide. Worldwide yeah. Um, yeah, this record could be sampled a ton too, man. There was a couple of lines that I heard that I was like, ooh, I got to remember that for <laughs> when I when I do something about that, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. No More Worries. You, talk, I don't know if you mentioned that earlier, but Domino on that, the bass on that, that for me. Yeah. That's a rewindable moment with them bass and the moment them keys come in on, I think it's like casuals verse on the second verse. Yeah. What's interesting as well at this time for you, because you're on the East Coast, for me over here, the West Coast was this really enigmatic, weird little universe because we mm. were getting all like, a lot of it was commercial, a lot of it was like, you know, very, very pushed by majors. And they're here on the West Coast, there was like Farside, there were these mm-hmm. guys, there was Hyro. Later on, you'd hear Shadow, DJ Shadow, you'd hear Mad Lib, all that as well. That West Coast scene for me has always really struck a chord for me. I don't know what it is, but. Mm. You, know, you know what's funny, man, is like coming up at this time, I'll throw in a couple more obscure references that that mm. go beyond the West Coast. So, like, mm. there was Farside, and there was all the hieroglyphics crew, and then there were two like sort of lesser known groups that you know, from me in New York, you know, kind of fit into the same lexicon. And that was Y'all So Stupid from Atlanta and Boogie Monsters from Virginia and uh, DMV mm. area. You know, I listened to all of that stuff. That was like sort of like my thing. You know, it was yeah. like just these, you know, the cool kids, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like those kinds of like, you know, all those groups were sort of like younger aged guys mm-hmm. and they had like a certain sound and a way that they, you know, production wise that they flip samples mm-hmm. and just conceptually just really being able to make like smart music for teenagers, you know, yes. and, and, and that's why it stuck with us. You know, that's why Hyro keeps going is because they, they made music because they were pretty much within the similar, you know, those, those guys range from like four to five or six years older than I am. And I'm my young forties. They, they were a base, basically the same age. You know, some of the things that I was experiencing in high school in terms of fights and what I thought girls were like and things mm-hmm. like that are kind of encapsulated on a lot of those early recordings because they had been going through the same things because they were also young teenage kids that was that was a hook and i think that that continues that's why people that were there in the 90s continue to support those guys because they connected in a different way than other artists did you know other artists were talking about shit that kids get into but that's really adult oriented and and this was you know for better or worse like what i could identify with was Mm. you know 
getting into street fights with baseball bats and, you know, yeah. cursing people out. Like that was my shit. <laughs> like, you know, so, you know, you didn't have to be like a tough guy or a violent person. That's just part of the way the nineties were, you know, mm -hmm. if you were a kid that wasn't like home studying, yeah, like that's just, that's what went on, you know, like, yeah. cause there weren't distractions then. And like all of that stuff is encapsulated, particularly in this record and in 93 to infinity mm. in fear itself and all that stuff. You know? Yeah. When you watch that, new film mid 90s from a few years ago mm. i think dell's doing a cameo in it that's just yep. that perfect snapshot of that world from someone looking from the outside in i have to say yeah i mean people people have hated on that movie mm. but i don't think that most of the people that hate on that movie actually like lived in the 90s in an urban area mm. because it really represented at least my experience with hip-hop yeah. And, you know, maybe it's it's a whiter experience. You know, my experience with hip hop in the 90s was very um, interracial across a lot of different spectrums, like the people that you would come in contact with. And, and you know, there, there's a lot of sort of like ignorant shit in mid 90s that was just accepted then mm -hmm. that wouldn't be accepted today. But I gave them credit when I watched that movie for like leaving that stuff in there, because that is how people talked in the 90s for yeah. better or worse. Uh, it's not an endorsement by any means at all in fact it should show us like what not to do at this point you know we're further along but yeah, yeah. if you don't show that stuff at least in a, in the way that they did certainly ways to push it too far but i thought it was really on the money and it, and it did sort of represent that time i wasn't a skater i knew kids that skated skateboarders hip-hop kids graffiti kids kids that just hung out on the corner selling drugs like there was like yeah. this mix yeah. of like all of those worlds together in the 90s and i think that even though they came from the skater point of view i i, I identified with what was going on mm. um in that movie and it was cool that Dell was in it i thought that was like a cool nod you mm. know to a record like this and and music like theirs that that did represent that time period really well Yo, yo, yo. Just interrupting this episode to give you a quick update on our plans for 2021. But before I do, just remember to subscribe on YouTube and like this video. Also, get involved in the comments. We always have some dope takes on there. So shout out to people that are getting involved. We love reading them. And hopefully some more of you guys can get on there and we'll shout you out on the episodes coming up. Now, on to 2021. We here at Crate 808 are setting up a Patreon where for the price of a pint or a coffee every month, we'll be bringing you even more dope hip-hop episodes. Simply go to to create808.com, subscribe to the newsletter, you'll get all the updates on our plans. But as a taster, each month we're thinking of bringing you 90s rap hidden gem album reviews that you can vote for. So if you enjoy people like Master Ace, Diamond D, The Lynch Mob, Paris, Big Noid, Blase Blase, we'll be doing a lot more of those. We're going to do our Why I Love series, the MF Doom and Jay Diller editions. Each month we'll bring on a guest and dig into why they love a certain Doom or JD track and then test that love. How deep is that love? Next up, Wu Tang Chronicles Ghostface Killer Edition. We're aiming here, I don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but we're aiming to go through every solo Wu project and we're going to start with Ghostface catalogue. So we're going to go in, we're going to talk about the music, we're going to talk about the fashion sense and just some of the amazing bars he's dropped in that career. And uh, the Griselda Marathon, I want to do it, I want to do it. If we get enough patrons, we're going to do it. We're going to go through every single Griselda project and really let's dive in, yeah? So get involved. Hit up crate808.com, subscribe to the newsletter as well as the YouTube and the podcast. Now, Back to the episode. So we're talking about Hidden Gems. Is there any other tracks? I know we talked about all of them, like generally being amazing, but like, is yeah. there anything else that stuck back whilst you've been listening back over the last week or so? It's, it's hard to talk about this record without mentioning Worldwide 
mm-hmm. in particular, because obviously, like lots of people, I don't know if anyone did the voice pitch alias thing before Dell did. Um, but obviously, this predates Quasimodo. Yes. And that's been pointed out plenty of times. I don't have to like that it's been written about or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and Quasimodo's dope. But this appearance of Unicron, I mean, it fooled me. Yeah. Maybe it was because I was 15. I thought he had like a little 16 year old protege, you know, that he taught to rap yeah. exactly like him. Like, I totally believed it. And when I listen to the wow. back now, it's really well done. You know, mm. I mean, I'm trying, you know, because I'm an engineer. So, like, I should at this point in my life be able to tell the difference between <laughs> yeah. a pitched up vocal and, and a child. But outside of the the little flans that you hear, it's pretty authentic. And I would be really curious, especially in 1992 or 91 or 93 when this was recorded, mm. like how they did that and what piece of equipment they used. Because if you were using a computer to do that, then it wouldn't sound like this at all. Yeah. It would sound like shit. Yeah. So like they, they found some kind of like guitar effect box or something that right. was able to pitch it and keep it on time like that. Because it's better than, you know, I feel like by the time Quasimodo came along, that was part of the gimmick, you mm-hmm. know, was mm-hmm. that it sounded fake. Yes. You know, it sounded like this alien character that was part of the shtick. And that's mm-hmm. what made that work. This was actually trying to get you to believe that it was another human. Yeah. And and that's the big difference between the two things. And that's awesome, man. It's always something that, you know, no matter how you feel about the record, it's always something that's sort of like this like sideshow that you can go to and be like, yeah. and think about what you thought about back then, you know, when, when you heard Unicron, you know? Yeah. And, and like, I mean, I remember there being, you know, me and my friends, and I think probably anyone that was a Hyro fan, like I could remember thinking for at least a year or two after, like, where's Unicron? When's Unicron yeah. going to come out? Yeah. And, and but he wasn't a real person. It was no, there is no Unicron. Like you know, that's why he wasn't around. You know, yeah, so yeah. I remember there was a twelve inch. Um, I guess it was Swollen Members got Dell to do Unicron I on a twelve this. inch. Yeah. Um, and I I haven't heard that in a while. I might have it in the crate behind me somewhere, mm-hmm. or I might not have it anymore. But yeah, that's the only other thing that I've ever seen with Unicron. Maybe I'm missing it. I would love to mm-hmm. know another sighting, but that's yeah. the only other one I've ever seen. Every everyone, let us know if if there is another Unicron yeah. out there. It's interesting what he goes on to do from stuff like that. I know Doom was doing. He didn't do exactly the same thing, but Doom had Mr. Fantastic, which was like who's mr fantastic you know and that kind of thing and then you hear that these two knew each other they kicked it they gamed imagine gaming with dell and doom like imagine them two just sitting <laughs> there and they gave it it's so weird and i, I kind of find that beautiful little pocket of time like in hip-hop yeah that, i mean they yeah. were they were both it was all signed to electra so mm-hmm. i i'm assuming that they met through the label and you know obviously curious is on Boo heads here for sure, um, and that was all constipated monkeys with yeah. with Doom and KMD. And I can rem- I remember there was um, there was an interview with Dell where he talked about meeting Curious at New Music Seminar, which okay. was like the big event in in hip hop at the time. It was before a couple years before my time. Unfortunately, I never got to go. That was where the battles were, where like Craig G and Supernat like yes. battled each other. So like New Music Seminar was a big deal, and in the early '90s, it was a really like sort of like authentic like kind of hip-hop cultural event at least the part of it that was dominated by the hip-hop part of the business but i guess dell and curious from what i read back then like met then and that's part of what brought everything together and i guess being on electra and being under dante ross's a and r like it just brought those guys together i wish they had done more music together but i'm glad that they at least knew each other that's really cool yeah and you know what you say there about dante and sd50s on here as well where i was like i don't know 
how much more they did, but I, I really enjoyed the stuff they did on this album, beats-wise and production Yeah, they, they the couple of the... Um, it's funny, like, with these 12 inches, I've been waiting to listen to them until after this interview because mm -hmm. I, I, I wanted to only focus on, you know, like, the yeah. album. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Not get distracted, but there's a... Yeah, there's, there's a remix mm -hmm. on the back of Dr. Bombay. Oh, okay. Uh, with Hoods Coming Dozens with SD50s. Yes. So, like, even at the tail end of the promotion of the first record, mm. you know, he was starting to show that this was the direction he was going to this more East Coast style. Yeah. When I was a kid, I didn't know any better. I thought SD50s produced this whole album. I didn't, ah, but yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it, you know, mm. um, but over the years I've come to realize that like Dell did some of the beats and then obviously mm. other members of Hyro. Going on to that then, because you mentioned it a little bit earlier, I'd love to just fascinate to know what you, what you were going to say about it. The way that Domino, Hyro, all of them, especially A plus as well. Some of the stuff A pluses have got on this yeah. record is unreal. It's a shout out, big up. What is it then about that? You were saying the way they use the flips yeah. for jazz and stuff like that. What was it? You know what it is for me is this shit is hard. Like mm. all these beats from all these producers and the same is true for 93.2 and Fear Itself and mm. um, the first Hyrule record that came out, Third Eye Vision. All of those sort of fit into that similar category. Like the beats are hard. Yeah. And and there's nothing jazzy about that jazzy. You know what I mean? Like, mm -mm -mm. like the way that hip hop people think of jazz, at least old school hip hop people think of jazz, right? Yeah. It has to be like this really overproduced kind of thing. But then... I come to find out, you know, over the years, I'm finding out what they sampled and I'm like, oh, wow, mm. that's a straight up jazz record. Like that's, mm. there's nothing hard about that record. It's, they just pluck these elements and these really like gritty, authentic jazz sounds and they put them to these hard, hard drums. Some of that is, I think a lot of the guys from Hyrule were using um, the EPS 16. Right. You know, and that machine um, I've worked with it personally over the years of engineering. I haven't produced on it, but I've mixed stuff off of it mm -hmm. and tracked off of it. And that machine, you know, like RZA used it, L used it. Though, though that machine has a certain sound to it. Mm -hmm. And obviously those three producers that I, or production teams that I mentioned, you know, did very different things with it. But if you think about it, like there is something that kind of binds all that stuff together. And it's just like, you know, I mean, I'm an MPC user. Everybody that uses an MPC, you know, there is something that binds it, even if you're on one end of the spectrum of sound or another. And like people that use like that Ansonic stuff, like EPS-16 and later on the ASR-10, it, it has a certain vibe to it and a certain style to it because you can you can play drums out on keys right. and it kind of gives you it gives you a little bit more of a you know drum flexibility if you're ambidextrous with your hand like you can really get into sort of like riding a uh, i can't do it <laughs> but yeah, yeah. you can really get into like riding riding your hat while you're playing a kick and snare with your other fingers i've seen people wow. do that whereas on the mpc you know the pads are the best revolution in hip-hop ever mm -hmm. don't get me wrong respect to roger lynn but <laughs> there's only two you know you've only got two hands you know yes. what i mean so and, yeah. and the pads are far apart so anyway that's a long way of saying like the way that they broke down jazz samples in hyro and on this record in particular this was just like a clarion call of like this is how we produce shit you know it doesn't have to sound like that that stuff is great and we take influence from it but this is how we can make it harder and that yeah. that's i never you know for me i have a weird relationship with jazz like i love jazz but i also have seen jazz used in really shitty ways over the years yes. particularly when it comes to hip-hop particularly in the 90s and for them to be able to use mostly jazz and a little bit of soul and a little bit of funk but mostly jazz records to create something that sounds like this and me not even know 
yeah. as a kid, even into like my adult years, that to me is is amazing production. And it's and it's not just because of the what they did to jazz. It's because the way that they chopped everything was they made it their own so much. Mm. There there are samples listed on the back of this uh, that are super yeah. hard to read. But there's there's samples listed on here. Mm. There's way more samples on there than what's listed. I have to this day there's no snitching and sampling. Yeah, but, yeah for sure. Um, but there is you know there's like the um, I don't know if you've seen the other YouTube videos um, where the guy DJs like an entire oh. set. Power one hundred and five, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. There's, there's one, there's one for this album, mm -hmm. and yes, if you haven't is. seen it, you gotta watch it. Yeah. It's fucking so good. I, I have actually seen. There's one on there that pff, I was just like, man. Yeah. It, I think this used on In and Out. The In and Out sample. Yeah. When you hear that, and you're like, that original <laughs> track. I'm not going to say sure what that is, but it's in that video. And that original track, and that some of those are just incredible on their own. And again, that's what's so beautiful about hip hop, my friend. Which is like mm -hmm. people like yourself who are making this music. It's just amazing how we are harking back to years and years and years of music to people who probably may their careers may have been one hits. Their careers yeah. may have just floundered or whatever but they're revived in stuff like this where hiro just find it or yourself or whoever you know and yeah i find that really beautiful man i find that really beautiful yo what up y'all this is dj premier and you're checking out the crate 808 podcast hey yo 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 this is your boy foul march and right now you are rocking live with the crate 808 podcast yo what's up this is del the funky homo sapiens down with hieroglyphics the funk pimp come on here for some good shit yes yes you're rocking with the best this is the one and only just blaze right now you're checking out the crate 808 podcast this is open mike equal and you are currently rocking with the crate 808 podcast yo peace and love this homeboy sandman and you're rocking with the crate 808 podcast it's the place to be so good for you. Hey, what's happening? This is Trevor Nelson, your R&B ambassador, talking all things R&B and hip-hop on the Crate 808 podcast. Hey, yo, yo, check it out. Mr. Rapper Big Pooh. And I need you, 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 and you to make sure you check out this week's episode of the Crate 808 podcast. Tell everybody the rapper says so. You were saying there about B-sides, by the way. When was the first time you heard Burnt? Because I heard Burnt way later. I remember Burnt when it came out. I remember it was like that, you know, if you were making your your pause tapes off of your records, like, mm -hmm. you know, um, or even off of other cassettes, like, you know, that would be like one of the main tracks that you would like have on your mixtape. I had a friend that was really into that song. Yeah. I liked Burnt. I need to go back and listen to it again. Like, you know, mm -hmm. the, the good thing about Dell's releases was that he had all his bonus stuff on there. Yes. On, on singles, remixes, bonus tracks, cameos, yeah. sort of almost posse cuts. But the bad thing about that is as we get further from that era, you have to like go out of your way to hear those songs. 100%. Yeah. And unfortunately, I haven't, you know, I've been, I bumped this every couple of months anyway. But mm -hmm. like, I, you know, do I go back to the 12 inches? I haven't in a while, so I got to go back and hear Burnt again. But I, I love mm. Burnt when it came out. And, uh, you know, Undisputed Chance was another one that yeah. was like one of the B-sides with like, you know, all Hyro on it that everybody, you know, wanted to hear that. And um, I guess the story is like Q-Tip, like, like a lot of stories back then, like, I guess the story is that, you know, Dell had a session and Q-Tip was down the hall and they just, he just came down the hall and vibed and oh, wow. hit a track, you know? And like, yeah. that's what I had heard, like, you know, through like old magazines and stuff. Mm -hmm. And and there's a lot of stories like that in the nineties because there were only so many studios in New York that people yes. wanted to work out of. Mm -hmm. And so, and those studios had like the hip hop thing locked down. And so there was a lot of that kind of stuff, which is cool, which you don't see these days anymore, you know? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. So you we talked about the Hyro there for a second. I don't know where you stood on the Hyro versus Hobo Junction like beef. Hmm. 
the, well beef battle you know yeah. the, the crazy like hour-long battle or whatever it is right I've heard it years ago and i listen re-listen to it again and i, I think i'm sticking with my winner i feel but did you did you did you have a- um i mean i was always gonna be hyro i you know to be honest that was a little bit before i was aware of hieroglyphics that was like a few months before you know in a few months in time when you're going talking about 13 14 15 years old it's like yeah. an eternity so yeah. like i missed that live happening mm. i heard about it in the past and i remember when when I, me and my friend were confused because we had read about there being a beat between hobo and hyro mm. but then safir was on casual's album Yes. And and yes. I was and we were like, I don't understand like what happened. And then years later, literally like only about two years ago, I had heard that and I don't remember the details, so I, I hate to bring it up and just leave it there for you. But um <laughs> but I there, there was I heard something that that some of the beef sparked over Safir's appearance on Casual's record. That's what it was, yeah. You know, because of like, I guess there was some egos about, you know, who killed it the hardest or whatever, which is a really novel thing to get into a beef over, you know, like, no, 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 I'm doper than you. I wish beefs were that simple these days. Um, but, yeah. you know, I mean, it was it was pretty dope, man. But what I would say, you know, not having heard that battle in a while, which was dope. But what I would say is I watched the uh, the Souls of Mischief documentary about oh. them making a 93 to infinity. Dope. And the footage, the footage of these guys freestyling is ridiculous i mean these guys were like i mean to be doing that at that age to be 17 18 and to be mixing your your off the top with a little bit of lyric with a little bit of written and then going back to freestyle and then doing all freestyle and like handing off to each other on radio show after radio show that's ridiculous man yeah, like that's yeah, just yeah. I, I i wish i had like a, a pinky's worth of that kind of talent you uh-huh. know like it's just and all of them did it yeah. you know it wasn't like oh yeah it was casual yeah. no it was like casual and a plus and opio and festo and dell and ty j and pep love all of them did the same thing they would all all show up at the the old footage all of them would come and just crush mm. and um i can't man that's you know yeah <laughs> i'm not gonna do that it's <laughs> all respect you yeah, know for I know. sure i know because sophia himself was amazing i did actually see an interview yeah, absolutely if they were saying and it's because apparently casual was supposed to be on sophia's album and missed the session and bang it just uh, and it rolled down uh, it rolled rolled away from them there i think i mean we had we had boxcar sessions too i mean me, yeah. my friend we had we had a copy of boxcar that we passed around to each other yeah. <laughs> on cd actually we, it was one of the rarest that was one of the early CDs that that our collective of friends had me wow. and me and my two friends that were super into it everything is it still in the um, brew there's a track off there I love but I can't remember I think it might be still in the brew or something like that NASA we, we, we have you on to talk about Dell of course but when you emailed me I was like man I need to go back and listen to your work and generally just school school myself up my friend on yourself and Word. first of all First of all, I just want to thank you for introducing me to White Horse. Uh, A word, man. That that track, White Horse, and the work you've done as White Horse, man, that stuff, I'm going to take time to really unwrap that stuff, I feel. Yeah, uh, shout out to to Gaja, man. Mm. Like, that's... That's, you know, that's me and his collaboration group. And uh, I produced a couple of those tracks. And then we had some other producers actually work on that. Man, yeah, that was a fun record to work on. I hope that we, you know, circle back and do some more. Yeah, uh, man, soon. I'm, glad, I'm glad you dig that, man. That's awesome. No, no, I'm wicked. And talk about digging, man, your new album, Only Child. By the time this goes out, it should be out. So people go sure. check it. I mean, wow. This, yeah, it's such a great 
I don't want to put words into it. I want you to tell me how you feel about it. But like, <laughs> if it, you know, I don't want to tell you how I feel about it. How do you feel about it? Messiah Music, yourself. Tell me, break it down, man. What was the driving force behind it? That record, it, it means a lot to me. It's sort of like, in a lot of ways, it's sort of like a dedication to my parents. A lot of it covers my earliest memories, you know, good memories, bad memories. It, it goes beyond sort of, um, you know, nostalgia and it kind of gets to the root of like, you know, who I am. You know, there, there are some songs on there that aren't directly about me, but for the most part, like a lot of my music, it's autobiographical or at least semi-autobiographical. You know, Messiah Music just gave me a palette. You know, we started working at least on the beat selection process of this a while ago, you know, like several years ago. And, and I started working on a few of the tracks. Then I had some other opportunities come up with Written at Night and City of School. And I was sort of like, I had this simmering. And then I came back after I was done with the you know recording process and the mastering process of, of City of School. I came back and finished like the last half of the, the songs for the record. And, you know, just came in fresh. And, and it helped, you know, because I'm a big believer with albums that they should be almost like Polaroids. You know, they should capture yeah. certain moments in time and certain things. And that's why a lot of my albums you know are on the, the short side like you know they're 11 12 songs um sometimes 10 mm. because i don't want to keep going and i felt like this captured you know a lot of those earliest memories you know for me like being an only child not having kids i, I made this point sort of in the liner notes and it's something i'll probably talk about a lot as i interview about this record is like mm. when you don't have kids and you're an only child you, you get to a certain age where like where other people, when they had kids that matured them, you actually hit 40 and that sort of like naturally matures you. Yeah. It makes you into that adult, you know, um, not to say that I was like ever like that much of an immature person, even in my 20s and 30s. But you start to realize when you hit a certain age that like, oh, wow, well, this is the life is what you make it, you yeah. know, and this is what it is. And you and you start to see yourself as a child, as the only child that you've raised, you know what I mean? If that makes sense. I, I'm very connected with my early memories, you know, my childhood memories for whatever reason, through, through drama, through joy, through whatever. And I always wanted to be in a position lyrically where I could write about that. Mm -hmm. And I finally reached it, I think, I hope, um, with this record. You know, it's it's I try to make records like I'm working on my next album now. And I'm mm -hmm. I, I and this is true of this album only child end of what's coming next right. is these are records that i always wanted to make but something smart kept me from doing it until i was ready right. you know what i mean like something yeah. on some level and now i can i feel like i was able to get these concepts out and you know for people that are interested in that kind of thing it'll be dope for people that aren't you know they'll just keep going about their day but you know <laughs> no, I, but I i you know i i made it for me and 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 i shared it with the public and i hope that people can identify with it whether they're only children or not or maybe some shared experience or mm. just some feelings and some shared yeah. emotions that i that i put out there you know it's when we when we were talking like about the all these acts we've talked about they're hard of course they're braggadocious on this album we're talking about with dal he's just fucking going for heads mm. absolutely but there is a lot of heart and a lot of real life stuff as well on these albums and with this album you've done you were saying there about some people might go along their day but i honestly think pause your day and listen to <laughs> your, your hands will turn to rust because right. that for me is beautiful my friend that is right, really human 
although I haven't completely unpacked it, my initial almost straight feeling, emotional feeling was like, damn, just going back to that time and thinking of going back to another time in my life mm-hmm. resonated because of that. Okay. The, the production is amazing. The lyrics are great. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed that track. One thing I was going to ask you, or two things I need to ask you. One, why should we know who Vincent Crane is? <laughs> Vincent Crane was an amazing lyricist and an amazing organ player. You know, as I talk, well, you know what? I got, see, the thing is, it's interesting. This is perfect, actually. This is like one of the first interviews I'm talking about the record. And I'm realizing I didn't really talk about Vincent Crane super specifically on it. I gave my experience you know, and, and where his music took me and how I'm influenced by it. And that yeah. was the point of that song. But in terms of Vincent Crane himself, you know, Vincent Crane was uh, was an organist that was in a bunch of progressive rock bands. People that know me know that I, I kind of also came up, you know, really influenced by progressive rock as well. Mm-hmm. And he was in a band called Atomic Rooster. Long story short, for most of the existence of Atomic Rooster, they were a trio and the bass lines were played on the organ while he played the leads on the organ. Amazing. So there was a guitarist, singer, and there was a drummer. And then he's playing both levels of organ to to come up with the bass lines. And uh, mm-hmm. and his writing was always dark. You know, it was it was always sort of like this mortality driven lifespan, death is coming sort of lyricism, which you know I have also done, probably partly because of some level of influence from from his work. That's why you should know Vincent Crane is man. <laughs> like you, know, you gotta you gotta yeah. know the the little tiny pieces of the DNA. You know, if you're if you're listening to my stuff, you know yeah. that's he, he's on the strand. You know. Okay, and. The gems, bro. There's one line on there that's going to stick with me for a while, where it turns out if you give a genre a few decades, the same roads are sought. That bar, bro, was like, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's nice when someone can articulate it in art, how you feel. And it's like, yeah, that was amazing. I mean, how is that playing out for you, though, like now, like as an artist and stuff? That is a pertinent line to me. But for you, do you see yourself doing stuff you've done before and stuff like that? No, I think, you know, for me, like what I'm getting at with that is just like every genre, you know, follows a similar path Mm. where it starts as this this organic movement it becomes a revolution across either a region or a country then it sort of um becomes accepted for what it is which is like that nice sweet spot period and then it starts to become commercialized and then it starts to become subgenreified you know yes. where all of a sudden you know people separate this kind of hip hop from that kind of hip hop or this kind of rock from that kind of rock every almost every genre that has reached mainstream appeal in the united states at least has done that and um, that's sort of what I was getting at there. And yeah. I think, you know, we're we're pretty late in the day, you know, for hip hop. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. hip hop has been around for a long time. I've been in it for a long time. Yeah. So, you know, I'm at the stage in my career and I think hip hop is at a stage with me where it's kind of like, you know, I just do what I do and and mm. am not really part of a larger thing. I just, I do what I do. I have my bona fides that I've done and, you know, wherever the music takes me, it takes me. And, and I think you have to be involved in a genre that's been around for a long time to come to that kind of piece. You know, if I was in a subgenre or a genre of a form of music that just started five years ago, it'd be impossible to say that, you know? So. Yeah. Absolutely. I was going to say then that um, there was one more on there that I was uh, just, yeah, really taken by. And that was Metal Mike. I'm sure you're probably going to get asked this loads, but Metal Mike, break down that track for me. So Metal Mike was, uh, well, is, is a guy who, you know, Ego Trip Magazine was a big magazine back in the day. 
And so, you know, it's ego trip and stress. And, um, you know, I read all those magazines. I read, read the hell out of those magazines. Mm-hmm. And so in ego trip, there was this guy, they started doing this, this piece where they would have this guy that they called metal Mike and he would review hip hop records. And he, um, was a homeless man. And I don't know when they were working with him in the magazine. I don't know, you know, whether he was like semi homeless or just kind of a transient kind of dude, or if he was like straight up homeless. Mm-hmm. I know. I don't even, I can't even speak to it now. It's not like I know him like that. You know, I don't know how trans, I just know that he, he does the things for the most part, everything on that record is true. You know, that everything that I said, all those stories happened, you know, um, I raised a little bit of the intensity of him urging me to stick with music (laughs) a little bit more than he gave, I gave him a couple more fucks for me than, than maybe he had, (laughs) you know, but, but other than that, I mean, all that stuff is true. You know, I, Mm. I, I, you know, I, I ran into him each of those times, each of those ages is exactly when I ran into him. Wow. In the neighborhoods I describe is exactly where I ran into him. The experiences I had, you know, the first time I ever saw him, I saw him in the street and I was literally, and I, I say this on the song, like I was the kind of person and I did this, you know, where like I went to every single record label in Manhattan with my resume and said, here's, and this is 1990. Seven. So there's no internet. You have to show up and just knock on doors. And I went everywhere from like Sony all the way down to like, you know, whatever indie was going on then, you know, like mm-hmm. select records or whatever. Yeah. And, and I can remember what a lot of those offices look like. But anyway, I come outside and I, I walked over to where G Street used to be. And I went upstairs to G Street and I saw Metal Mike and he was like, yo, I, so I said something to him and, and I told him what I was doing, you know, I was just a goofy kid with, with like my book of resumes. And he's like, Oh, you know, you should go over there. That's where TVT Blunt is. And like, oh. it was right there. It was right across caddy corner from where G street was. And I went up and I left him. I mean, I didn't get any internship out of all of that work, <laughs> but I did, you know, cause back then, you know, just printing that many resumes was like a day's mm-hmm. worth of work. But in any case, yeah. And then I ran into him like downtown when I was working and like, you know, he was doing some, working some working some things and then i ran into him like 20 years later and same he was still you know kind of on the same shit and um always sort of remembered who i was in a weird way like obviously didn't remember my name but always like recognized my face or at least was at least has become good enough at faking remembering people (laughs) to get extra donations um but yeah i I felt like you know i felt like those are the kind of people that you know i want to highlight in music you know, um, I don't like I said, I don't know Metal Mike like that. Um, I know him from the three interactions I had and I was able to write a song off of the three interactions I had in New York City. You know, as a New York rapper that that represents my city in, in everything that I do, regardless of whether it's as obvious as New York Telephone, um, I want people to know about like, you know, how how this city works is there are so many people here that have talents or skills or personalities that you'll never have heard of. You know, yeah. New York is not a monolith of like, oh, that's where the famous people come from. Yeah. Like there there are lots of struggling, interesting, challenging people in New York City, you mm. know, just like anywhere else. Yeah. Your music's a real uh, portal into that, by the way. It's, it's, it's great in that aspect. Just talking then, we haven't even mentioned, but before you go, I was going to say, uh, your podcast, Dope Shit Podcast, uh, with uh, sure. Samurai Banana, Big Up. Yeah. I... I travel back, listen to a few of those episodes. And man, to hear 
what you were saying there earlier about like speaking about a certain time, speaking about people in hip hop. It's interesting to hear you guys talk, especially you you have done a few episodes about your Def Jux days and stuff like that, but also just like other stuff that you've done in there about like um you had a great Doom episode. Just general chat has been great. How are you finding that podcasting space, my friend? How are you like? Are you enjoying like doing it? Is it a bit of a chore? Are you like in like you know enjoying telling your stories? No, I mean if I didn't enjoy doing it, I wouldn't do it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it is it is a lot of work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, especially now with like you know we do them kind of how we're doing this now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We do them over Zoom, and um, that has pluses and minuses. Everything does. You know, like the editing is definitely takes a while, um, but mm-hmm. talking is for better or worse easy to me. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, Banana loves loves playing tracks like he 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 has a real dedication to you know to the culture as it will as it were you know what i mean to like finding tracks that you know maybe don't get played in other places you know we've been on long enough now where like you know different artists that we played you know are more widely accepted than they were back then and mm. and and some people are still at the same level and we keep playing their shit because we think they're dope. Yeah. You know, it, it's not about like finding the next nugget. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's about like playing what we really like. So, you know, usually I'll pick a couple songs and he'll pick a couple songs and he does all the DJing. And I basically take the conversation part of it, which can, like you said, it could be about anything. I mean, we talk about music. Uh, we talk about the music business. We mm-hmm. talk about um you know different thoughts and feelings that you might have as an artistic person yeah and that's sort of what i'm about talking about you know on that show you know and um and and you know banana has that conversation with me you know puts me on the psychiatrist's couch (laughs) most of the time i talk through my shit and uh and and you know he djs and then we Mm. we have a show you know we're we're on a a slight break now but we're going to come back we were doing like episodes once a week for a while then we went to every other week and then we just went to like when covid happened like it was just like it was like when when we can get to it and now that's sort of like the approach we're taking so (laughs) we're actually probably going to get up in person tomorrow for the first time in uh, like two years you know so um well big up man but that'd be cool podcasts aren't easy so it's quite nice to see you guys doing that and people go check it out dope shit podcast it's yeah it's really good it's dope shit (laughs) there you go it says it it on the it would be remiss of me to even ask that because you're on just your memories of Def Jux are on that podcast. But I just want to ask you now, when you see people flourishing that you've worked with from LP to mm. ASAP and, uh, you know, the company flow seems to be getting a lot of love recently, which has been great on my timelines. It's like, yeah, that they should be. How do you feel just looking back on that time for yourself and that moment in time? How are you with that right now? Are you like, do you think about it often or not really at all? Um, you know, I, I would, uh, I'll, I'll take another moment to do a cheap plug here. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I've, I've started a second podcast that's YouTube exclusive oh, at okay. Uncommon Records, the Uncommon Records YouTube channel. It's mm-hmm. called Flashback Sessions. Yes. And uh, it just started uh, pretty much about two months ago. Uh, it's me and Short Fuse, who I do music with and, and other business stuff with like Uncommon um, Restoration. But mm. we, we decided to do this podcast where like I just basically talk you know, about a lot of those sessions, you know, uh, we just recently did one on Infesticon's Gun Hill Road. Mm. Um, and the first episode we did before that was just my getting hired at Ozone and how that happened. Yeah. Uh, Ozone was a studio and the label that kind of predated Def Jugs. Yeah. I'm going to get into a lot of that stuff to answer your question. There was a long stretch where I was very busy trying to make my own name, you know, and as much as I was appreciative 
of what I had worked on and loved the music that I worked on, you know, as an artist myself, I didn't want to be NASA, the Def Jux guy Absolutely. forever. You know, um, I wanted to go and stake my own name and have that be part of that name. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And, and I think, you know, enough time has passed now where I feel like I was able to sort of, you know, to whatever degree, large or small, like stake out my own name as an artist and a label owner and a producer that stands apart from my engineering work. And so, you know, now I'm comfortable sort of, you know, on flashback sessions, kind of like talking about those sessions and getting into that. And we'll obviously keep going with that and, and do yeah. more and more of that, that music from that time. But mm. I feel happy for those guys, man. I mean, I wish they would have been this successful when I was around, but, you know, <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I'd be doing, maybe I'd be doing different things right now. But yeah, I mean, you know, to see guys, you know, with gold or platinum records, wherever, mm. you know, whatever level, you know, RTJ is, you know, all the success that Aesop's had that I didn't work on a ton of RJ stuff, but, you know, the success that RJ's had um, and all the rest of those guys, you know, Merce, it's really good to see. I mean, it's 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 weird because like, you know, at the time I was a fan of of all that music while yeah. I worked on it. And, you know, when you're making music, you know, you feel confident in it. You know, and so none of it really surprises me. It's hard for me to sit back and be like, wow, you know, because yeah. it, it doesn't surprise me that those guys are successful because, you know, to me, they always were. Yeah. So, no, it's a beautiful thing, my friend, <coughs> just for people yeah. like me who are still learning and stuff. And yeah, it directs me towards all your music as well. And that's been great. So, yeah, yeah I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate all this love for Dow and Hyro and all that you've brought. And, you know, yeah, just giving, giving us that perspective, man. It's it's needed. It is needed, my friend. Um, yeah, man. Thank you. So before you go, though, NASA, I ask everyone the same question. What is the last great piece of music you've heard could be old could be new but just the last great piece you heard where you're like damn that's amazing huh besides this Dell album besides besides, <laughs> besides this classic besides this classic yeah. um you know it's funny like i've actually heard a lot of great new music um okay. outside of hip-hop um i've heard some good hip-hop too but mm -hmm. and so i'm trying to like i'm trying to like say something that i don't turn around and say oh man i should have said that <laughs> you know like so i'm trying to figure out like exactly what i want to say i'm yeah. a big fan of um of an artist that's actually in the uk uh mm -hmm. her name is mc soom t she raps but she also sings and um really comes from sort of like that dubstep like euro dub scene nice. Okay. And uh, it's done stuff with like Mungo's Hi-Fi and, and those kinds of groups. Mm. And uh, her new album is really great. I mean, it's top okay. of my mind because I'm wearing her T-shirt. Oh, damn. Damn. But, there um, we go. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, that's the first thing that comes to mind that her last album is really great. I DJ reggae on a regular basis and mm -hmm. I, I DJ all the way up into like what's gone on in the UK in recent years. So uh, I'm, I'm really into that stuff, that wow. whole movement. Love that man of transatlantic knowledge, my friend. I love that. Hey, so, man. <laughs> I'm going to reach across the pond and put you on to something right now. I love hearing these uh, just people in my backyard that I haven't heard yet. So, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go in. But, NASA, man, thank you so much. It's been a brilliant chat. I've really enjoyed having you on. And uh, all the best, bro. Good luck with the album. And um, doors always open, my friend, if you ever want to jump back on. We're, we're here. I'm here. Just let me know. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me on. Thank you, NASA. Appreciate thank it. You. Peace. Peace, man.